Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the pleasure of welcoming Bill Woodich to the show today. He is the founder and CEO of Woodich Enterprises. He works with Fortune 500 companies like AIG, Old Republic, Zurich, and Bank of America to improve their sales and leadership. He key, keynotes around the world, including national sales conferences for MetaBank and the national annual meeting for Boy Scouts of America. He's appeared regularly on Steve Harvey's Act Like a Success show and has also appeared on CNBC, Fox, and CBS. He has written for Inc., New York Daily News, and the American Management Association. He is also the best-selling author of two books, First One Always Forward, and most recently, Fail More. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you, Tiffany. It's a pleasure to virtually meet you. Yes. And we are going to start off with uh, one of the most popular parts of the podcast. That's sort of like the other 27 minutes almost don't matter, but this first three is what everyone waits for. It's what I call bullish and bearish, and it's three quick questions. And I'm just looking for you to say bullish, you're really for it, bearish, you're against it. And if it's anything you want to you know, dig into more deeply, like let's We'll, we'll table it and we'll go back to it uh, after we get through it. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one is robots will be able to experience failure. Bullish. Oh, nice. Not what I thought you'd say. All right. The next one, virtual reality coaching. Bullish. Oh, you know, I've, I've got to make these harder. Okay. The next one, <laughs> the third one, is doing daily affirmations. Oh, bullish. Yeah, I knew you would be. I knew I, I actually didn't think I'd get all three bullish, but um, I was surprised on robots experiencing failure. You wanna you wanna say something about that one? The immediate thought I had was uh, I think there was a chess match. It was Big Blue against I, think, I, I can't remember the Russian. It was playing against him in chess, uh, playing against the machine, and it actually—I think he, he actually won. And second time, of course, I think uh, is uh, Big Blue won, and that was the big contest. So my mind actually went back to that point, and I think it also has to do with how we define what failure is. You know, is is success doing things in a certain rope faction fat every time without any kind of any kind of touch that would that would be something germane to the human spirit, the, the nature of humans. Uh, is that a failure or is that a success? So my mind drifts into different places, some in the past, and I may be faulty on my memory of the IBM chess game, but I know that if you look into the nature of metaphysics and say, is this success really something in the human realm or is this, this just something that's just rote copy work? So that's really where I go with it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, I like to say sort of either you win or you learn, right? That, yeah. That, that, yeah. And uh, uh, that's not really a me quote, but I say it all the time. Um, you win or you learn. And the thing that's in Fillmore, the biggest touchstone in the book uh, is this. If you don't learn from the lessons, you're, you're, you're condemned to repeat. And if you don't learn, it's just an experience. So if you don't learn from the lessons of the experience, it's simply just a waste of time and an experience. So the key to Fillmore is how to learn from your failures. And one more thing that I thought when I started in sales, Liberty Mutual, a long time ago, before I could even really tie a tie, I thought one thing, Tiffany, just one thing. I thought if robots, and that's what I said at the time, if robots could do what I do, then I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. But until that time, when there's a heartbeat and there's a mind, 
when I'm in the room, I still have a shot. And that was the essence of human connection that I brought forward. Well, you know, part of this though, and I'm going to, you know, I'm leading you really, you know, to the, to the water on this one, because I know this is something you're very passionate about, but if you're going to even consider failure, part of it is having to kind of overcome the fear of that failure, right? You not only led me into the water, you threw me into it. I did. It's, you know, it's, it's the serious student. And this is one of my isms. It's the, it's the serious student of success that treats failure as the indispensable teacher. And unless you're able to first move through those emotional pangs, those feelings of rejection, those lacerations that come with the fear of the attempt, you're never going to be able to do what I think is most important. And that's move forward to create the types of lifestyle that maybe you only can dream of. I think there's a whole lot of research around kind of where fear originates and why you have it. And I'm going to guess you have an opinion on that, because if you're going to try to, uh, you know, always forward to take your book titles, right. And, and kind of fail more, you have to be able to understand why are you afraid? And then what are the things you can do personally to overcome them? Yeah. I think one of the key words that you can use and one of the practices you can engage in is to be able to be dispassionate about failure, which you have to be able to come to overcome emotions. So in, in both of my books, I trace it back to, you know, through time, back to the time when, and this may be, you know, many people may not agree with this, but back to our ancestors, back to the days on the Serengeti, where it was instinct and instinct was the part of the reptile brain. And that was survival. Well, we've carried those vestiges of instinct forward into the boardrooms today where there is no saber-toothed tiger. So that irrational fear is the first thing we have to separate from what is a rational fear. And irrational fear is anything, I think, that, that won't kill you. You know, it's not death from an insect, a, a reptile, or man. That's, just, that's danger. And it's an early warning side of fear. But being able to know what irrational fear is, you know, that thing that appears to be real, but it's a figment of that florid imagination played forward. That's the key in learning about your fear, where they come from, and how to use the prefrontal cortex, that, that rational CEO brain, to actually move through it. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I, I started saying something um, about maybe two years ago of kind of, you know, becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable and this possibility of thinking differently about being uncomfortable. Like if you go to work every day or, um, you know, you... Uh, go to the gym every day and you don't get sore when you go to the gym. And if you go to work every day and you feel like it's just this mundane sort of task, 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 and you're not learning and thriving and challenging yourself that all of a sudden you, you start to just completely lose the interest and motivation to do it. You know, there's, there's two buckets of fear we have, and this is Kahneman and Tversky and it's loss and change. As babies, we have two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And here's the thing, Tiffany, we learn the rest of them through our peers, through our friends, bullies, teachers, parents, right around that kitchen table. And we learned that ego's involved, that we don't want to step out and do something and feel embarrassed. That's a loss. You know, we don't want change. We're comfortable knowing what we think we know. You know, so we don't want to rock that boat. But to get to that next level, no matter what you do, you're going to lean into that discomfort. Talk about the gym. Every time I'm in there, I'm trying to up the ante. 
because I know through that discomfort and through the ultimate failure that workouts provide, if you're doing it at a high intensity rate, that you'll come back strong the next week, the next month. But you've got to keep leaning into the pain of discomfort. That's the only place that growth can occur. Yeah, and I think I think in, you're a big proponent of this, and and you really call it out in in a lot of your work. But but some of this is if you start to feel that um, concern, or you're the feel of failure, or you're feeling uncomfortable, you just start to procrastinate. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah right. You you got a great you got a great word. Well, I'll tell you what the what the word is that I hear. I hear feel. Feel is emotion. That's the visceral feel of something, and that that's that's that instinct and limbic system working in overgear. So you really need to take the feel into thought, which is something totally different, and use logic and say, what is going on with my feel? Heed your gut. What's going on? But is this rational or not? And that rational part is the, is the decision maker that can say, you know what, this is something that is valid, or this is something I should pursue a little more. I'm big on mind-body, yes. Yeah, and, and, and how do you think, so, you know, our listeners are going, okay, I've heard, I've heard a lot, like, get uncomfortable, overcome fear, don't procrastinate, you know, but it's easier said than done. You know, I always like to say, look, I can stand on stage and tell you this, or you can read it in the book, or we can have a quick conversation. And I just sort of very quickly go, oh, this is, you know, without goals, you have no direction. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, sure. but actioning that and, and finding a way to, as to use, you know, a common term and one you've just used is kind of leaning into mm -hmm. this overcoming being uncomfortable and procrastinating because of fear. I don't mean procrastinating for any other reason, but procrastinating because of fear, um, and especially the feel of failure. What are the small things people can do to, to overcome that? You know, I have studied opinions on things. And I'm not, I don't ever call myself an expert in one thing or, or anything, but I have studied opinions on things. And, and let's go back to one word and then I'll answer the question. It, procrastinate is something people ask me. They said, well, how do you know if it's procrastination or I'm just not ready? And, and you know, I'm not going to give some kind of flip answer, something that's, uh, well, you just got to go. Uh, no, there's a certain amount of preparation and you have to have an aptitude for what it is that you're doing. You have to have a skill set and you have to develop and continue to develop those tools and that skill set. But you got to be in the right place. You know, I, I, if I want to be a mechanic or an astronaut, I couldn't do either. Don't have the skill set to do it. Don't have the aptitude to do it. So I think that's a lot of it is that when you're ready to do something, and sometimes you're not completely ready, but you've got to take those small, intrepid steps forward to say, okay, what is it that I have to learn to start? Who can help me? Who are my allies? What advocates can I have along the way? Where's the clues to success here? You know, who's done it before? Where have they failed? Where have they made it? Let's go to Elon Musk. He'll say that, if he fails 90% of the time, that's his expected range of failure, expected range of failure. 90% of the time, if he fails, he, he's winning because those 10%, he's going to knock it out of the park. And here's the best part. If he can't, if he doesn't, if he fails 100%, someone behind him can pick up the lessons and maybe apply them for future success. So I think it's small steps, Ethiopian proverb, don't be overwhelmed. Stay within yourself one step at a time. Know yourself, but find people that can help. Well, some of that is, and, and I agree with everything you just said. I think it's fantastic advice. Um, ultimately, I think there's a huge power in this sort of internal talk track, this negative voice that you may have 
as you're starting to potentially work through some of these fears, um, especially in a professional life, because sometimes it's, uh, you know, I'm embarrassed or I don't want to show I can't do things because then people think I'm not qualified for the job or, you know, raising my hand when I don't understand something that takes a lot of courage. I mean, I I think it's confidence and things you have to build over time. Uh, Would you agree with that? I would. And I'm thinking of two things. And I think this would be three more podcasts at some point. But ego, ego, you see, I watch people have success and they get to a certain point of prestige where people think they are their title and they think they are their bank account. And so other people look at them with this whole reverential air that they have found the secret of the Holy Grail. And they're not willing to get to that next level and fail and look less than. And that's ego. And that's the killer in a lot of people who have that fear of looking in, you know, maybe as less than. That's part of loss. Here's what I did, and I'm going to give this to you in, in one minute. Here's the fire that kept me going forward no matter what. I had this intimate relation, relationship with fear, a fear of going back home to Western Pennsylvania, and having failed myself having put myself out there or maybe, you know, just just giving enough to be a dilettante or someone who attempted something but not completed it all the way through and going back as a failure. And I did not, did not in any way want to do that. So I burned my boats behind me, you know, like the Greeks in, the, in mythology and the Spanish, burned my boats, saw the plumes of smoke and kept that fear with me. So every time it was tough to make a call, every time it was tough to get up on stage, I thought about that fear. I felt that fear. And that's what helped me drive myself forward. Not so much even the goal as much as it was the fear behind me. Well, and that, and that's great too. You know, whatever the motivation is, I mean, I think there's motivation for all kinds of reasons. Like you said, you don't want to go home and feel like, you know, you didn't try or you didn't give it your all. Or, you know, some people are motivated by, you know, I want to get in shape because it's about time for my high school reunion. Like whatever the motivation is, right? Uh it can come from anywhere. It can come from being inspired by a podcast or hearing someone speak or reading a book um, or inspired by those around you, to your point, you know, surrounding yourself with people who are going to support you and challenge you as well as, you know, pick you up when, when you, you know, when you fall down so that you can sort of keep going and, and trying it again. Uh, but, but a lot of this is this internal voice um, that can sometimes just overwhelm people, right? Just become louder than the voice of reality is this, this, a detractor, you know, the imposter syndrome, right? Of I'm not really worthy of, and, you know, someone's going to figure it out. And so, you know, what, what have you done or what, what have you found in, in both of your books, you know, that as you've worked with executives and, and CEOs and successful people, sort of what have they done to quiet that voice? Is to first accept it, accept what it's, you know, you, you don't want to reject offhand the voice. So you're going to have to expect the voice. And then accept what it's saying. And then you're going to put something down on paper, which is going to change the whole dynamic from that feel to thought. And you're going to write down, what's the worst case? What's the worst case that can happen in this deal? What's the worst case that can happen in this relationship? What's the worst case? What's the worst thing that can happen? And you're going to know your downside in your worst case every time, no matter what you do. You're going to write that down. Then there's going to be acceptable levels of failure. To do this, how do I, what is winning to me? What is the upside to this? What is it worth in terms of time investment, emotional investment? What is it worth to me on this scale? And I would have people write those things down and I would ask questions in a very Socratic method. 
What if this happens? What if this happens? And by running through the scenario, it may take days, it may take minutes, it could take weeks, but people will come to a decision based on fact more so than just based on a feel. I think the feel is important. Sometimes the biggest deals that I've lost, my gut said no and my head said yes. But if there's a place for it, and I think it's individual, Tiffany, I'd be, I'd be less than honest if I was going to tell you there's a prescription that's one size fits all. But I found that by writing down worst case, best case, what does it take? What are my sacrifices extant? What's necessary here to make this a win? Those things have helped me from thought on paper to make rational decisions for the best. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you and I have an interesting uh, connection and perspective as it relates to kind of the role of sales. Mm. Um, and your first book uh, was, was, you know, more sales sort of oriented, if you will. I'll let mm -hmm. you dig into that in a second. But what's often, you know, put in front of me is, you know, oh, marketing owns this or, you know, the executives own that or, you know, so-and-so owns this. And I'm always like, you know, but at the moment of truth, when a brand is sitting across from a customer trying to sell to them, right, it is a person who, for all mm -hmm. intent and purposes, gets rejected a lot. <laughs> like going back to what you were just saying, right? 90% failure rate. You only need to hit 10%. Right? Yeah. But you have to have thick skin and you know, people claim that, oh, you know, salespeople do this and that. But in reality, it, it is this hyper situation of of rejection and failure all the time of like having to recover, having to recover. And so, you know, do you think that 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 is a true statement, number one? And number two, I, I always feel like, you know, to, to sort of quote Dan Pink, to sell as human, we all sell in some way, whether we have sales on our business card or not, right? And so that I'm either selling, you know, my kid's taking out the trash or I'm trying to get a new job or whatever it might be, right? At some level. Um, but the role, that particular job, the seller's job has this you know, ex amplified amount of, mm -hmm. of rejection and failure. Mm -hmm. you, know, I, you know, it's, it's funny when I, when I mentioned Daniel Pink and I mentioned something very similar to what you said to people, maybe they're CFOs and they look at me and they say, we don't sell. Or, yes, you do. You're convincing your wife, you're, you're dressing up the way you dress, the way you position yourself. Everybody sells. Yes. And it's a great book, by the way. Uh, but let's talk about rejection for a minute. I found that exposure to that stimulus or that, that thing that causes you the most pain, continued exposure to it can cause you to become inured almost to its effects because you've got to expect it. And that's part of that Faustian bargain that is sales. Every time I picked up the phone and was, it was slammed down, every time I was in front of a customer and my first 13 attempts were all failures, I still had that burn in me that said, you know what, you might have to go through a thousand to get one. Are you willing to do that? And inside of me, the voice answered yes. And I kept moving forward with the most important thing, an expected threshold of rejection and failure. I didn't expect to win every time. I was very emotional with my buyers. I connected where I could from the heart first because they're going to buy you from the confidence level, buy you as a person before they ever care about your product. So they're buying the salesperson and I went in not to sell, Tiffany, but to enroll. And I knew one thing. In my book, Always Forward, I had the law of thirds. A third of the people are going to dismiss you offhand. They don't like the way you look. They don't like the way you carry yourself. They just don't like you. Maybe that goes back to the vestiges like we talked about before 
on the savanna in the early stages of, you know, of life. I don't know. But there's a third that'll always, they're buying something similar to what you have and you got to win the middle. That's the third that doesn't know from whom they're going to buy or if they're going to buy. So I always looked at it in two thirds and just kept expanding my activity until I hit enough to become successful. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great way to frame it up. And I and I I I know you also have a, a thinking around this sort of, as you just said, the kind of third, a third, a third, and in whatever you know. I it was very interesting to me. I d- did an interview a long time ago with Seth Godin, and and I said, okay, somebody who's trying to get into marketing. We were talking about marketing. I said, what would be your you know first piece of advice? And he literally looked me like dead straight in the eye, and he goes go market something like, you know, Girl Scout cookies, the PTA, like, you know, a local charity, like even if you're not in marketing and you want to get in marketing, don't apply for a job, just go market and market for free until you learn sort of what it means to market. Right. And, and I think that's a great piece of advice, regardless of what it is you're trying. You know, if you want to be a graphic designer, do you want to like apply for a job when you've never done it? Or do you just want to go graphic design for your church or for your, mm-hmm. you know, for your PTA or your Girl Scout? You know what I mean? Something. So you can learn how to do it where people will appreciate that you're taking the time, but you're learning along the way. And that and it's a high level of failure in that learning curve. That's the way and I did so, it. That's the way I did it. To keep, is to get engaged and just talk with people. Just talk with people. Start there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think there's this kind of range of failure. There's, you know, as you said, kind of catastrophic, like, let's put that aside for, you know, it's kind of a life and death decision. Like, that's not what we're talking about, right? Where let's keep it on, let's keep it on the work conversation that there's, that there's this expected range of failure. And what's interesting is there's, I'm guessing, and I'd love to hear your opinion, there's, that there's this gap between what executives are willing to except for failure from people who report to them or even people in the organization. And then there's this level of personal failure people have as individuals. And the gap between those two things may be really high where, wow, I'm worried if I really fail, I'm going to get fired. And if my mm-hmm. manager doesn't view failure as a learning opportunity, I might get fired. And so what happens when you're, you want to go down this path of failure and learning, yet you're, you know, quote unquote, management team, a person or the company in general, doesn't look at failure as a learning. They look at it like, you know, that product launch was a failure. Going back to your Elon Musk, if I fail 90% of the time, or Jeff Bezos, or Steve Jobs, or you name all the really innovative leaders, they were willing to fail a lot. Mark Cuban, like it doesn't matter, rattle them off. Even, you know, to your, to, you know, one of your examples, Michael Jordan, like it's, how many three-pointers you miss doesn't matter if you hit the last one in the game and win. Right. <laughs> it's like, right, okay. So what happens when you're, you know, you're willing to go down this, I want to fail and learn, but the company you work for doesn't want that to happen? Or I don't want to say reward, right? But I don't know the right way to say that. No, no you find another environment. You find another company. And I have a real-life lesson here, a real-life a real life lesson. I had a person come out of finance. He had he'd sold and sold and sold. And he, the first call he made with me, he said, what mistakes are we going to make today? And I said, why are you asking me that question? He said, that's what my old manager made. He asked me and he said, we cannot make mistakes. I said, man, we're going to make them all, but it ain't going to matter. And the look on his face and the way he relaxed and leaned and, and was able to understand that the environment that I'm going to create as a leader is one that is free of fear. 
where I'm going to withdraw those tentacles of those fiefdoms of fear and allow people within reason to make those attempts if they're responsible and fail and move through without fear because they're making those calculated attempts and they're learning, as you said, on the go and learning how to do what we do. I have a high tolerance as long as they're making attempts that they've learned from. And I'm a leader who accepts failure as part of part of the way forward. I've always been that way. So my answer is find a new environment. Okay. Not everyone can change jobs, but I, but I get it. Listen, when I was early in my career, in my thirties, I changed jobs literally every 18 months. So I'm a firm believer in that philosophy and not everyone has the, you know, ability to do that, but I do understand the point. Now, what if you're a manager and you want to allow your people to fail? You you know what I'm saying? Like start to create that environment where they feel like, you know, permission to do that and really to kind of give their best self. And they won't or they don't. Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, and they won't. They won't, and they don't. They want to. They don't today, right? And they and they're stuck in middle. Let's call it middle management, right? So their CE, yeah. their culture doesn't sort of reward failure, but their people below them are really trying to push the envelope and learn new things. So so they're caught between the bottom up, right? Really wanted to yeah. do the right thing and learn and fail and kind of iterate and become much more agile and all the things you want to say, but at the top, and so they're squeezed between the middle right? The culture that's not open to it and, and an employee workforce who actually wants to do it. Okay. Well, you know, I, I'll go back to changing and I, I'm going to stick on one thing with the job. You mentioned job and not everyone can change jobs. You're right. But I think everyone can create new careers or opportunities if they are able to see and seize those things. So I don't, I think that you imprison yourself and a lot of people, that's not sales. Sales isn't a job. It's an opportunity. So if we're making a differentiation between what is sales and, and what is a job, sales ain't a job. Sales is opportunity and you create it. It doesn't matter where you are, what environment you are, whether you're on your own or with another employer, it's it's you and it's got to be that way. In terms of management, accepting failure and the employee or the coworker and not embracing it, then you got the wrong person because you you'll have a person that is in fear of that rejection, who fears doing those things for whatever reason, personal reasons, and they won't. If you have a manager that constricts you, go back to having to create another place where you can have another opportunity. And I don't know if I answered that spot on, but that's, that's my rough answer. Well, you know, all, all fair points, you know, and I think, you know, the one thing I've taken away from this is that um, I really love the point of fear driving procrastination mm-hmm. that, you know, really trying to temper the inside, you know, your internal talk track that, um, surrounding yourself with people who will support you. I mean, I think it 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 sounds like such an easy concept, but I think as humans, going back to one of the things you called out, you know, ego is um, it's a tough thing to overcome. You know, no matter how good you are at something or you know how uh, capable you are, you don't want to be viewed as someone who can't do something. So, you know, I think that that all of us have the ability to try to work on ourselves when it comes to this particular topic, because, you know, if, you, if you're not uncomfortable and if you're not experiencing some fear, you know, in many ways you, you've become a little bit stagnant. Yeah. And you know, how many people would like to do what you do? How many people would, you make it look easy. How many people would love to do what you do and think, Hey, I could do that. But how much sacrifice and how much rejection and how much overcoming of those fears of failure did you have to do to get here? And you probably still do every day because you're human. You know, I mean, that's the question. 
Yeah, I was speaking at an event this week, actually, and and uh, I was talking about this, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I said, you know, how many people, if I if I tapped you on the shoulder and I said, I'm going to have you speak for, you know, get up on stage and speak for ten minutes right. about, you know, a particular topic, whatever whatever topic you want to pick, you know, how many of you would just be paralyzed and petrified? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, <laughs> right. And yeah. a handful of people raised their hands, and so then I said, why would you be? Why would you be, you know, uh, afraid to do that? Well, I, I wouldn't want to sound stupid, right? Or I don't like public speaking. So, you know, the last thing I'd, I'd like to hone in on is, you know, there's this subtle difference uh, or not so subtle difference between kind of the extroverts and the introverts. And I think, you know, sellers tend to be, I'm over generalizing, tend to be uh, extroverts, but how can introverts, uh, particularly in this conversation, you know, would there be a different talk track for them yeah. or something you would, you know, suggest to someone who is, you know, less outgoing to really overcome some of these, you know, things that they may be afraid of? Now we're on the, now we're on a pretty similar wavelength. Yes. And I think we were the whole way through, but I'll tell you what that, what that is for me. And I've seen it. I've seen people succeed with both an, an introvert uh, personality and more of an extrovert is confidence and then competence. I found that the introvert, if you're going to generalize, must build competence in what they do and what they're and what they're doing before they have competence. Where a lot of times the extrovert will have competence and then has to build competence because your buyer, your person, your end user is going to look for value and they're going to look for competence, but not before they feel your competence. I, I'm a big believer in competence first. And I found that the ones that don't have as much confidence, once they build competency, then have more competent you know, they're more, more confidence beyond what they know. And the inverse is also true. You could be out there confident, but if you don't learn your product and know what you're doing, you're going to get kicked out. So I think that if it's talking about this uh, for, the, for the close, I guess, is that ego, you know, w- without talent is arrogance. But ego with confidence, they assume to be, you know, that, that's capability and promise. And that, that's the way of success, I think. Well, great. Well, this has been... Awesome, Bill. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'd love for you to, uh, you know, leave with our listeners um, two last things. The, the one is, if you could have dinner with uh, anybody, you know, still with us or not with us anymore, who would that be? Oh, absolutely, Winston Churchill. If I could survive the alcohol up front, it'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. And then second, how can people follow you, your work, what you're doing, what you're up to uh, going forward? It would be, oh, going forward, like always forward. It would be at Bill Woodich, and it's W-O-O-D-I-T-C-H, or Bill Woodich, W-O-O-D-I-T-C-H.com, BillWoodich.com. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Bill, so much for joining me on the What's Next podcast. I hope you had a good time. I did. And I'll look forward to hearing from our listeners on what they thought of today's conversation. I had a great time. You were were awesome. Thank you. What a great conversation with Bill. Such a pleasure to have someone on the What's Next podcast who talks about this kind of fear of failure and really giving yourself permission to try new things. And more importantly, finding the internal courage and fortitude to push forward and lean into the kinds of changes you'd have to make to start to make yourself not only feel uncomfortable, but feel comfortable about feeling uncomfortable. So it was a great conversation. I hope you got a lot of 
insights and information out of it that you can take to work and as well, maybe even into your personal life going forward. So thank you for listening to my What's Next podcast today with Bill Woodich. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave some feedback, leave a rating, tell your friends, and I look forward to having you back again next time.